bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you also for reminding us who sanctifies us. It's you, who the sovereign one in the universe is, the only sovereign one, the only one that's able to sanctify us in time, to justify us, to make us righteous. Thank you for imputing that to us at salvation. Thanks most of all for sending your son to make that a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the gospel salvation and sanctification, we're on part 32. Um, and we're not, as far as I know, we're not anywhere near being finished, uh, which um, is expected given the magnitude and the pervasiveness of the topic and the, uh, the like. So uh, I will warn you this evening, though, and it was a bit of the same on Sunday, concentrate if there's going to, I'm going to give you a lot of review. There's going to be some things that some of you still don't have fully grasped yet in your soul, and that's perfectly fine. Um, I want you to think of the big picture this evening. So even though we're going to talk about a lot of granular things along the way, try, don't sacrifice the big picture at any time. Okay? So just keep the big picture in view and you can think about the title if you have to. The gospel, salvation, and sanctification. Just keep those knitted together in your soul as I teach, okay? Because tonight's a whopper. Tonight's going to be hard to even teach. And uh, I'm sure I'm not going to do it perfectly uh, as, you know, you know what I'm saying. But um, I really want you to walk away with the big picture amplified in your soul. Okay? So with that said, we ended on Sunday, which was a major effort of synthesizing lessons. And we ended with this principle up here on the board. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A perverted gospel demands a perverted sanctification. In other words, if a core doctrine is off, the ripple effect is felt throughout the body of doctrines that build upon it. And that's why we spent 20-something Lessons, that's 20 plus hours on the gospel and salvation. And uh, if you were humble, you learned some things. And if you were humble, you had some things sort of reoriented in your soul, sort of amplified so that uh, when we got to sanctification proper, which is where we're entering now, um, you have a sturdy foundation. You have something where the support structure is there. There's not going to be any dangling threads or any T's that aren't crossed or I's not dotted, that kind of thing. That's why we spent all that time on the gospel. For example, arguably the most perverted doctrine after the gospel is that of sanctification. Now, granted, sanctification is, if you think of positional sanctification, which is what happens at salvation, Sanctification is obviously part of the good news. But there's also the good news of after salvation. So arguably the most perverted doctrine after the gospel is that of sanctification. And as the Spirit's been teaching us, these are not separate issues entirely. Yes, we have to, what, bitwise in chunks digest them. That's why we teach 
this way. Sometimes I teach systematically, uh, doctrinally, whatever it takes. We do have to digest these things incrementally. That is true. But again, the big picture. They're not separate issues as far as God is concerned, as far as God's plan for all of us as believers. They are not separate issues. Sanctification, for lack of a better term, is really one pattern. It's one issue that God um, affords us insight into, if that makes sense. Okay? So the Spirit's been teaching us these are not separate issues entirely. As a matter of fact, the fundamental error begins with the gospel. If you've got the gospel wrong, up here on the board. So the Spirit spent a healthy amount of time with this congregation trying to get us into the saddle the right way. In other words, so that you have the right perspective of the other things that we're going to learn or the ensuing doctrines that we're going to learn after the gospel. So he's been really not stalling, but on purpose sort of stalling us and saying, you've got to stop, make sure you've got the right perspective. If your conception of, for example, the filling of the Spirit is perverted, even in the least bit when your understanding of the fundamental doctrine of sanctification will be proportionally perverted. A perverted doctrine of sanctification begins with a perverted gospel. That's the tie-in that you all need to reconcile in your souls right now. The, or a perverted doctrine of sanctification begins with a perverted gospel. In other words, if you've got a cheap gospel or a, um, an accommodating gospel, because there's other scripture that should have been spoken to in that gospel, it's left out. And that affects the ensuing studies. The foundation's not complete. So anything that builds on it is suspect. And that's what the Spirit's been saying. And that's why he spent all that time on the gospel. So this is why the Spirit keeps coming back to the big picture after each step forward we take with the concept of sanctification. Just look at all the doctrines on the table right now. These are the, the, the core doctrines, if you would, of the doctrines that we've been studying now for a couple of months. These are the things that the Spirit has brought to the forefront. This, God knows how many doctrines in the Bible. But these are the ones that are on the table. And these are the ones that he's saying, I need you to synthesize them. And the only way you're going to synthesize them and walk away with anything useful is if you have the big picture in mind. So look at the gospel and salvation. Positional sanctification has been on the table. The Holy Spirit's ministry at and after salvation, working with the Word of God. And then, of course, experiential and progressive or progressive sanctification. You choose your word. But all those things have been on the table, and that really is an uh, expression or a, uh, an explosion of the title. The Gospel, Salvation, Sanctification. These are just the more granular details of what he's had in store for us. So let's go back to where this ministry literally began classes. Go to Romans 1.1. Romans 1.1. So this ministry literally began our classes if you've been here that long, with Romans 1.1. I remember it. <laughs> and it makes sense. And it's funny because we keep coming back to it. I don't know how many times we've read Romans 1 together, but it's a lot. And for a variety of reasons. We go out and we look at something over here, some 
series over here and we come back to Romans 1. Then we go to some other series over there, we come back to Romans 1. We just finished up with the gospel, we come back with Romans 1. It's interesting. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, set apart, that's him really saying, sanctified for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience. We've talked about obedience as of late as well. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, that's dunamis. Remember that Greek word? That means exploding power. That's what dunamis means. We studied that probably five years ago now. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And if you've, like I said, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that that is really, Romans 1.17 is the, the verse that we always seem to come back to. Regardless of what we're studying, we always have come back to this verse. And I remember when I first taught it, I taught for a very long time on that one verse. He had us perched on that verse for a very long time. I suppose just to build you up so that every time we come back, we can pad it even more. Now, dwell again on the slide on the board. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff that he just mentioned is really up front in the doctrines that have been on the table. The gospel, salvation is in there, positional sanctification is in there, Holy Spirit's ministry uh, at and after salvation, working with the word, and then experiential or progressive sanctification. They were all in there. Isn't that amazing? So it's, uh, it's a nice sort of capstone passage for us to go back to incrementally. Again, there's a reason why the Spirit has us coming back time and again to the Gospel, and even Romans 1. Again, he's trying to establish a rock-solid big picture 
in your souls so that you'll have a proper foundation to build upon moving forward so that things make sense. There's nothing worse than having a bunch of Legos just strewn on the floor. There's no semblance to it. There's no putting them together. You don't see the, the whole of it unless you start, unless you have the big picture. And that's what he's saying. He doesn't want you just to learn about Legos. He wants you to see the, what's built with those things. So he's really trying to establish a rock-solid big picture in your soul so that you have the proper foundation to build upon moving forward. Or more accurately, for most of you, a more solid foundation. A lot of you have a very sound foundation. So a lot of this has been sort of perspective issues. And as with any structure or edifice, the stronger the foundation, the sturdier the building. We're going to get back to Romans 1, 16 and 17 again. But before we do, I want to show you something else that has to do with our recent studies on the gospel. So again, I told you, I'm going to give you some data, but it should all be familiar, a lot of review. I'm going back to Scotty's lessons, the fullness of the gospel here, which was November 29th. Particularly the emphasis the Spirit placed on an unbeliever's perspective of God. You might remember some of these principles. I just stole them from those lessons. He had it as the magnitude of the gap, and that was what the Spirit was really impressing um, in that series, was the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and the unrighteousness of, of man. So the magnitude of the gap. Notice in Peter's two gospel messages in Acts 2 and 3, he elaborated on their guilt and their rejection of the Holy One from God. He elaborated on their sinfulness and the gap between them and God. Then he gave the solution, even waiting until they asked for it. In other words, until a person recognizes the sovereign God of the universe and then accepts that they are held accountable to him, their conversion will be halted before it even begins. Until they actually accept that God is sovereign and holy, and they are not. And that in that understanding, they are held accountable to that God. Until they recognize those things, the entire conversion process is halted. That is like step number one. And if you read from Romans 8, 1, 18 and on, that's what Paul gets into. He said, this is the loveliness of what it looks like to be saved. I'm not afraid of the gospel. It's the righteousness of God. It's the power of God from faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Beautiful. Beautiful. Followed by this other thing, where people have not even taken step number one, which is to recognize the sovereign, holy God, and accept that they're accountable to that God. And that was really what I got that was the gist of what the Spirit had Scott teach back in November. Again, another principle from that lesson, the magnitude of the gap, the difference between a man's self-righteousness and God's righteousness is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, 64, 6. Now with that in mind, let's read the rest of Romans 1 for big picture. For big picture. Remembering that God sees the heart and promises to save those humble enough to accept the terms and conditions of the gospel, which begins with the principle on the board. Okay? God is righteous and holy, and man is not. Romans 1.18 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We've looked at that many, many times. That's an active suppression. That's something that man has to do actively. So again, he's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. He's saying, basically, I'm sovereign, you're not, you're accountable to me. I'm the creator, after all. You are accountable to me. And a person has to suppress that. And if they suppress that, then they're halted. The plan for sanctification, the process of sanctification is halted right there. And that's the big picture issue. Um, Anytime um, we ignore God, His sovereign will, the way that He does things, the way that He might convey grace to us to sanctify us, uh, whether positional or experiential is... If we do that thing, then we, we halt the process. And that's the pattern that we're going to see time and again. Romans one twenty one. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. They invented things, as we've learned. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In other words, you see the anti, if you want to say it this way, you see an anti-sanctification. If sanctification is what Paul described in Romans 1 through 18, uh, 1, 1 through 18, this is the anti-sanctification. This is what happens when you go in the other direction. Okay? So for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. That's that Greek word, plero'o being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. In other words, God says, I've given you even a base morality, and you're saying basically, flippantly, you can keep it. I'm going to go my own way. And so he hands them over. And then, you know, misery loves company, or they like to even have their own form of 
counterfeit fellowship amongst unbelievers, amongst those that denounce God, etc., etc. And it's a whole counterfeit type sanctification. It's like anti-sanctification or sanctification in the wrong direction. So I hope you see it again. The point on the board that all of that really was to amplify <coughs> was something we saw about a month or so ago, a month and a half. The magnitude of the gap, the difference between a man's self-righteousness and God's righteousness is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Think of it this way. Only God can sanctify a person so that they are justified. This goes for all phases of sanctification. Only God can sanctify a person so that they are justified. This goes for all phases of sanctification. In other words, the first thing a person must accept is this, up here on the board, that God is righteous. Man without Christ is not righteous. A person who refuses this truth is utterly stuck, quote, blocking God's desire to sanctify them. That is God's great desire, to be saved and come to the knowledge of Him, of truth. That's His greatest desire. And when you do those things, when you're saved and come to the knowledge of Him, that's like from faith to faith. That's like being sanctified. And it's one giant sanctification process. I mean, we like to call out phases so that we can understand the different aspects of sanctification because just like life there are phases of life but that's the overall desire of god and if a person says no god i'm not with you at all yeah you're the god of the universe i know this but i'm suppressing that truth and i'm going to run off in the anti-sanctification pathway then they are stuck and god is unable to sanctify them by means of his own justice at this point, a person can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in its entirety, and it will fall on, quote, deaf ears. If a person's unwilling, in other words, to accept God as holy, and that they're personally accountable to that God, if they're unwilling to accept that, the gospel is going to mean nothing. They're going to say, what do I need a Savior for? I'm not accountable. I don't need saving. And that's what Paul's saying in the second half of Romans 1. Saying this is how beautiful the gospel is, how simple it is even, and this is how it looks for those who say no to God even. So just a few more, and that's the big picture. The desire of God is to sanctify you. If you say no to God at the very beginning, he can't do that work. And even saying no along the way, as we'll see, he still will, you'll still frustrate his plan for sanctification. Just a few more principles from our lesson from uh, November 29th, I think it was, the fullness of the gospel. So reach back into your memory and remember where you were at, where your soul was at when Scotty was teaching these things. The gospel message today is often made about the individual and their comfort, not about the need to satisfy the Lord and his majesty and righteousness. You see, that's when the gospel gets cheap or lessened or it's incomplete because man is somehow trying to sanctify himself or his friends. Often the deep sinful nature of a person's selfishness is never addressed. The deeper need of reconciliation with a holy, righteous God on his terms of unconditional surrender is never addressed. Well, if that's never addressed in the gospel, where does that leave the rest of the doctrines? That's the problem. And that's why you have to understand it as a whole. You have to see the whole big picture. If you leave out the first part of it, then what does that do to the rest of it? 
And then the final principle I'll rob here. Saving faith is a surrender of the heart to God, which means repenting from self-sufficiency or self-sanctification and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ instead. This is what Paul is trying to say, big picture even, in Romans 1. The first half of Romans 1 is the manner in which a person is saved. The rest of chapter 1, as we just read, and even ensuing chapters, if you were to continue on in chapters 2 and 3 even, he talks about other categories, not just the derelicts in Romans 1.18 and beyond. Then he gets into Romans 2. You remember the judgmental righteous crowd. They're not saved either. They're just hoity-toity. They're the religious crowd. And he has something to say about them as well. So if you have time, you know, read Romans 2 and 3 if you want an even more big picture. But So the rest of chapter 1 and even the ensuing chapters 2 and 3 are where Paul reveals those who God does not sanctify for a multitude of reasons. If his great desire is to sanctify, but the individuals refuse his own method, then he can't sanctify them based on his own integrity. So refusing and suppressing God's righteousness. If a person refuses to accept that God either doesn't exist, or that if he does and they are not accountable to him, then the intended process of sanctification is, let's call it, frozen. By his own integrity. He's not going to save you if you don't have the right heart for it. He's not going to override your free will, in other words. So if a person refuses to accept that God either doesn't exist or that if he does and they don't, they're not accountable somehow, then the intended process of sanctification is frozen. Well, since our studies are now regarding sanctification proper, it is important for us to remember another principle on the topic from a few lessons back. This goes back to the 15th of November, going even deeper back in our memory centers, if you would. Up here on the board, I was teaching this before I went on vacation, grace realities. Salvation and sanctification are simultaneously awarded as realities. And that's the big picture that he's trying to get you situated in. These are not all chunk-wise. Sure, we can study it out that way. But the reality is, from God's perspective, salvation, sanctification, these are all simultaneous realities. Salvation and sanctification are simultaneously awarded as realities. In other words, if a person is saved, they are sanctified. We know this positionally. And guaranteed sanctification experientially. To God, these are simultaneous realities. Go to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. So that's the big picture that he gave us. Oh, that was what? A month and a half? No, yeah, a full month and a half ago. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, complete it, until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a guarantee. It's not a, oh, maybe he will, maybe he won't. He says, if I save you, I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to give you faith. And faith is what we tie righteousness to. And if I see righteousness in you, I can award you grace. And by grace, I'm going to sanctify you. So these things are like a string of pearl. He strings all these things together, and that's what he's teaching us. He's saying these things are all simultaneous to God. 
So that's the big picture reality that God wants his children to understand. There are a lot of benefits of understanding his overall strategy when it comes to sanctification. Now, the biggest mistake people seem to make is what Paul warns against in Galatians 3.3. Go there. Galatians 3.3. It seems like most people, after salvation, fall into this trap. Galatians 3.3. And Paul warns against it. And we might call into remembrance what Scotty said with self-sanctification. There are people that believe that they can self-sanctify. I mean, I get caught up in that myself. I, of course, that's a, it's a sin. But, I mean, if you're a, a type A personality, then you try to do it all the time. You forget. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, God. I was trying to take the bull by the horns again. That's me. And uh, it's a mistake. But that's what Paul's getting at. Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you going to do something that sanctifies yourself? Are you now so holy and righteous that you're able to perfect yourself, sanctify yourself by your own means? That's what Paul is saying. You need grace, is what he's saying. Just like it's salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you needed grace. The same thing. You need, it's the same pattern. To be sanctified at salvation, you needed grace through faith. Faith is the channel. After salvation, you need grace, faith being the channel. Religion's quest, though, is what frustrates this whole process. Satan promotes religion in his world in order to frustrate God's plan for his children. He can never stop it. He's not that powerful. But he can frustrate it. He can tempt us. He can get us going off la-la land for a little while, we can sin, we can get stuck in some dysfunction junction with a certain kind of lust. I mean, look at all the things he's taught us along the way. Family issues, uh, sexual sins, uh, you name it. All these kinds of things can infiltrate us and get us sort of distracted. And Satan's behind all that promoting it. But the big one really is Satan promoting religion in his world in order to frustrate God's plan for his children which is to bring glory to himself by sanctifying them. And everyone needs to remember that. So if it's God's desire that everyone's saved and come to the knowledge of truth, why? Because he wants glory for himself. He deserves glory for himself. And so when he's able to sanctify someone like you or me, then that's a toast, if you would, a tip of the cap. It's an achievement of his grace to be able to sanctify us. And in that way, it brings glory to Him. So that's why He wants to sanctify us. It's for His glory. (coughs) So Satan promotes the antithesis of that. Uh, Not wanting to see God uh, have glory at all. Always remember this about God. All the glory is His, my friends. We are merely vessels, as Paul says. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's very important that we realize this and remember this, which is why we're encouraged by Scripture, which is why Paul wrote such passages and reminders to those that were even saved, because we can get distracted. It happens. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, 
but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's Paul's way of saying that I take no credit for anything good in me. And that is how you are sanctified. What's the key to the spiritual life? Humility. There's humility. Okay, Humility is open uh, to grace. Go to 2 Corinthians 4.7. It is able, I taught a series on receiving grace even. Humility receives grace. 2 Corinthians 4.7. It receives it aggressively even. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earth and vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. This treasure in earth and vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's humility again. That it's not about anything special about the vessel it's what god does with the vessel our job is to get the heck out of the way in humility and let him do his thing and stop trying to take control and as scott would say self-sanctify what paul is saying in both of these passages is consistent with what he's saying back in romans 1 that's the big picture again he's not saying anything new that's how have i taught this right i mean the bible isn't the the key concept in the bible it's not difficult at all what you see is either an affirmation of it or a defense of it. And it's just different situations. It's no different than a person going out and living life. The gospel goes out and quote, lives life, and it's either someone saying, hoorah for the gospel, and that's an incident you could note and write down and record, or someone saying the gospel is trash, and someone defends it, and that's a little instance you could write down. Right? And that's the gospel going through time, and that's what we see in the Bible. But the actual gospel is actually very simple. It's really not difficult at all. What Paul, again, is saying in both of those passages is consistent to what we've been noting in Romans 1, which is that only God can sanctify man. Only God can sanctify man. So let's pick up with him again back there. Go to Romans 1.16. I'm going to stop for a moment. We're going to stop for a moment here and stall a little bit. Because I believe that this particular passage is indicative, maybe? Uh, encapsulating, impregnated, or however you'd like to look at it. It's got, the, it's got so much of what the Spirit's been teaching us as of late. And just these two verses, you want to talk about big picture verses, Romans 1.16 and 1.17. This is about as big picture as it gets. So again, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I want to first focus on the concept of righteousness. Up here on the board, it's the kaiosune in the Greek, in the Bible. And it really has three general uses in the Bible. When that word shows up, and it shows up a lot in the Bible and also specifically in Romans, there's three basic uses of that word. It's either a characteristic of God. He always does what is right, just, never wrong or unjust. His righteousness is consistent with his other attributes. It's also used as his method of salvation through 
the Lord Jesus Christ, God saves. His justice being satisfied. So there's that aspect and usage of righteousness. It's righteous, in other words, for him to save us on the merits of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there's the specific imputed righteousness, which is man's good standing with God in Christ. So it's sort of the part of the essence of God, the actual activity of salvation that's righteous, and then the righteousness that's imputed, the actual righteousness that's imputed to man. And that's really the three main uses of the word dikaiosune in the New Testament, which is translated righteousness or righteous or some variant. In general, again, those are the three uses of the underlying Greek word. So when we read Paul's words, we are best to substitute the second bullet on the board. So if you think about Romans 1, 17, the second bullet is really the one that's highlighted the most in Romans 1, 17, which says his method of salvation. In other words, the righteousness that he gives us at salvation and even beyond, that righteousness is his method of delivering us, is his method of salvation. And remember, salvation is not just, that's another thing that you're going to have to elevate your thinking. When the word of God says saves, he saves, it's not always just talking about salvation proper. Saves also is translated commonly as delivers. And you might be a saved individual that's being saved. I've even taught you to think that way. God saves you every day. And that's how you have to think about it. And that's how these things are tethered together. It's not, well, I was saved when I was 15 or whatever. And now I'm being sanctified. No, they're not disjoint like that. Sanctification is being saved. Sanctification is being delivered. That's what sanctification is. You were saved, you were delivered from the sovereignty of sin. You're saved in time, experientially, you're delivered from the presence of sin. And even the consequences, as we've learned. They're the same concept, do you get it? It's, it's what God wants for his children. That's what sanctification means. And Paul says it nicely in you know, four English words, from faith to faith. And that covers the whole thing. That's that big picture. But it's the righteousness of God that's first in view to Kayasune. So again, when we read Paul's words, we are best to substitute the second bullet on the board. We might rightly conclude this by looking a little deeper into the original language here. Not just for righteousness, which I just gave you, but that phrase of God. Now, you'd have to go to the original to see this, but Romans 1.17, the definite article is not in the original, uh, which the definite article is the. So, for in it, the righteousness. It's actually easier or more appropriate to think about as a righteousness, the kaiasune, a righteousness from God. So when you look at that, read it in your head this way, for in it, a righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, that may seem like I'm splitting hairs, but 
up here on the board. I'll give you the literal, the literal translation of Romans 1.17 reads this way. A righteousness from God is being revealed. A righteousness from God. That means this righteousness was from Him. So we're not talking about God's righteousness. We're talking about a righteousness that comes from Him. Okay? So a righteousness from God is being revealed refers to a judicial forensic reality where God imputes a righteousness to a believer. <clears throat> Allah, we'll look at Philippians 3.9 in a moment. It does not refer to God's righteousness specifically. Hold your thumb there. Go to Philippians 3.9. So again, think about it that way. A righteousness from God is being revealed. Because if you read it, the righteousness, you might think it's specifically God's righteousness as that first bullet I gave you, but it's not. There's a righteousness that we have that He is able to impute, account to us, if you would. And this is a judicial aspect. In other words, he sees Christ in you when he looks at you. That's why it says, from as far as the east is from the west, I don't see the sins anymore. That's what it means. Philippians 3.9, And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith. So you start thinking about this righteousness as something given by grace. Because remember, faith is the channel. Think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. By grace, through faith. Okay? So it's by grace you're given something, but it's through faith. The basis here, as Paul says it, in Philippians 3, 9, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not His righteousness specifically speaking here. It's a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So allow me to recruit a couple of other fine gentlemen on this point. Uh, Dr. Creamer on righteousness from God. It is the state commanded by God in standing the test of His judgment. The character and acts of a man approved of him, in virtue of which the man corresponds with him and his will as his ideal and standard. That's the righteousness from God. In other words, God sees something in you that is approved by him. I mean, if you think of experiential sanctification, sometimes you do a righteous thing, sometimes you don't. But you're not always righteous, otherwise you'd be God. That's why it's not God's righteousness. But there is a certain righteousness that He can give us that's imparted to us. Some call that imparted righteousness when they talk about experiential. But we also, because we're in Christ, that's what God sees positionally. But it's a righteousness from God. It's not His. <coughs> Our old friend <coughs> J. Vernon McGee on righteousness from God the righteousness he, and he's talking about Paul in Romans 1.17, the righteousness he is talking about is what God demands, and it is what God provides. It is a righteousness that is from God. 
The Bible doesn't say that it's his righteousness. It's a righteousness that is from him. So the righteousness he, Paul, is talking about is what God demands and it is what God provides. It is a righteousness that is from God. As we've seen in the past, this is the same passage that changed the entire ancient Christian church. We call it the Reformation. It's this verse that got Martin Luther all up in arms, right? He had that great epiphany. And that's why there's the whole Protestant church, because of the Reformation. It was because Martin Luther saw Romans 1.17, went back and saw what I'm teaching you now, and was blown away and said, what we're doing, the church is on this other pathway, going this direction. And there was a whole reformation. I don't want to get into that, but go back to now to Romans 1.17. Let's see if we can apply some of this emphasis to our scripture. Romans 1.17. Jeez, I can't believe what time it is already. I haven't looked. It's crazy. It's only, it's only 7.38. You are what? <laughs> Romans 1.17. For in it, again, the, the definite article is actually not in there. So, for in it, a righteousness from God, is a good way to think about it, is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So think about it that way. Again, the literal translation might help see what the Spirit's getting at, up here on the board again, as a reminder. The literal translation of Romans 1.17 a righteousness from God is being revealed. And we just saw in Philippians 3.9 that that's what God gives, a righteousness from Him. So it refers to a judicial forensic reality where God imputes, oh, that's a typo, uh, imputes a righteousness to a believer, Allah, Philippians 3.9, does not refer to God's righteousness specifically. It's what, look, the gavel comes down, you are righteous. That's what that means. In other words, what I did for you with my son on the cross, the way that I saved you, is righteous. And that righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. It's how I sanctify you. Does that make sense? That's why we live in the gospel reality. That's why Paul was so excited always throughout his whole life. All I want to know is Christ and Christ is crucified. That's all he wanted to tell people about. That's sanctification. That's what it means to live. A righteous man lives by faith. Who gives you faith? God does. It's unbelievable. The amount of things that he does. In other words, he says, I have a judgment against you. And all you have to do is believe it. And I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you faith that makes you righteous. Seriously? I just have to accept it? Yeah. It's my judgment, but I've also solved the problem. I did it at salvation for you. I'm doing it now. But I want a little peace in this. I want a little religion. I want to self-sanctify myself. Then you don't want what I, I want to give you. So instead of looking at sanctification, salvation, the Gospels, all these chunk-wise things, think of it as God's whole desire for you from, day, from eternity past before you were even born. He just wanted to sanctify you. He wanted you to be saved, and he wanted you to sanctify you. That's his will. And remember what sanctify means? It means to be set apart for his purposes, to be made holy. That's all sanctification means. 
I want you for my own. And Satan's going, but I still have a little bit of skin in this game called the flesh. And I'm going to incite the flesh. I'm going to tempt the flesh so that you make bad decisions. So, again, a righteousness from God is being revealed, refers to a judicial or forensic reality where God imputes a righteousness to a believer not refer to God's righteousness specifically. As we begin with this evening, let us not lose sight of the big picture and why we are all the way back to Romans 1 again this evening. Remembering where we started, because all these things up here on the board have been on our table now for a few months. And Paul speaks to these things. These are what he's talking about. In Romans 1.16 and 1.17. So let's read it again. Romans 1.16. You there? All right, let's read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, again, that's that Greek word, it means the explosive power of God, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, a righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let me give you a little one step further. Is revealed up here on the board. So a righteousness from God is revealed. So think about this, and you'll have some time before Thursday. Is revealed. There's so much going on. Romans 1.17 is just packed. It's packed, and that's why that Greek, explosive power dynamis is so appropriate because it explodes if you spend any real time thinking about romans 117 and the more of the word you have from elsewhere in scripture this thing just explodes off the page that's why i'm, I'm like i said before I'm, it's it's intimidating to teach it to be totally honest with you it's really as a teacher to stand before you it's, it can be intimidating i know it's a you know a fleshly thing but it's true it's explosive there's so much because i know tomorrow i'm going to go back to the good book and i'll be like ah i'll see something new and i'm like ah why didn't i say that because you didn't know about it dummy you just learned it yourself you know and that's how it goes every time you come back to romans 117 it's just it's more there anyways one step further with is revealed refers to the unveiling of the fruit of the righteousness imputed to believers from god at salvation God sanctifies from faith to faith, for it is by faith that a man shall live as a Christian. Is revealed, refers to the unveiling of the fruit of the righteousness imputed to believers from God at salvation. God sanctifies from faith to faith, for it is by faith that a man shall live as a Christian. Do you recall all the good work we did back when we began this, what really justly called, incredible series? Do you remember all the Holy Scripture we discovered regarding fruit bearing and the gospel truth? Remember that? It was all about fruit bearing, if you recall. If not, let me refresh your memories from our lessons in September, going even deeper into our lessons, further back. Bearing good fruit. The Bible is clear. 
that sanctification after salvation is guaranteed. We read Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Another principle from that lesson, you shall know them by their fruit. The Apostle John uses very straightforward language to describe the polar differences between a person who has been given faith and the one who hasn't. A righteousness from God is what? Revealed from faith to faith. Dwell on that this evening. That's a lot to think about. That's mind-blowing. A righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith. For a righteous man shall live by faith. Anybody else want to teach this? (laughs) It's mind-blowing, folks. At every level of the, quote, game. In other words, what Paul is getting at in Romans 1.17, when he says this righteousness that we've received from God is revealed, it is revealed in such a way that only through faith can righteousness be imputed by grace. Only through faith can righteousness be imputed by grace. Dwell on that. Now this echoes, and we do have a couple extra moments here. Go, go to Romans 4.1. Romans 4.1. Only through faith can righteousness be imputed by grace. Remember, faith, and you can think about Ephesians 2.8.9, faith is the channel. It's always the channel for grace. If you have faith, then He can pour out grace, in other words. And that's how He saves you. It's how He saved you at salvation proper. It's how He saves you even in time. If you're humble, he gives you more faith. To each, he gives a measure of faith. The more faith you have, the more grace it can pour out as a result of your faith. It's your faith that makes you righteous. And when you're righteous, he can what? Bless you. When you're unrighteous, he has to judge you. Remember my old, old diagram from the heydays? The righteousness, the integrity of God. Right? If you're righteous, you get blessing. If you're unrighteous, you get cursed. You get judged. Still the integrity of God. It's funny, because he solves all the problems. (laughs) It's so ridiculous, the stuff we do to get in the way. He says, I'm going to bless your socks off when I am satisfied, when I see righteousness in you. And think of you right now. Ian, check this out. I'm going to give faith. Think of, uh, what is it, James 4, 6? He gives uh, grace to the humble. I'm going to give faith to the humble person. And then check this out. Then, through that faith that I just gave them, comes a whopping dose of grace that blesses them out. (laughs) And then I'm going to be satisfied. And I'm going to see that person as righteous. What do we do? Seriously, what did we do? The same thing we did at salvation. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to get out of the way in humility. That's the key. That's what he's saying. That's the beauty. That's what's revealed from faith to faith. Everything I just said, that's the beauty of Romans 1.17. It's mind-blowing. There's nothing in it for us. It's mind-blowing. He says, I'm going to reveal this thing from faith to faith. 
I'm going to bless you out. You've got to be humble. That's the whole key. Our only part in this whole thing is humility. But I'm going to do all of that for you. That's what's revealed. And it's revealed as he sanctifies you, because from faith to faith is really the mode of sanctification. It's the, you know, the looking at it from faith. He saved you. He took your first spiritual breath, so to speak. And then he sanctifies you till heaven where you're ultimately sanctified. And any time, any time that righteousness is seen, it brings glory to him. Because you're unrighteousness on your own. You're unrighteous on your own. So anytime you do anything righteous even now, it brings glory to God. But here's the kicker. You're not even responsible for it. <laughs> That's the whole kicker. You can only say yes or no to his will. Does that make sense? I just took up our time, by the way. So you went to Romans 4, 1 for nothing. <laughs> right? But that's really important. I don't know if that's, that's, at this juncture, that's about the best I could teach it, to be honest with you. It's mind-blowing. I invite you, encourage you to think about Romans 1, 17. Just look at it. Look at it. Really look at it. Dwell on it. And don't, don't even be technical about it. Don't even be technical. Just think about it. Think about what he's been teaching us. We only have the lessons on the website that it started with the gospel. Actually, we have two before that, justification by faith. That's it. Think about what he's been teaching us now. Why he wanted you. He said, you know what? Just start right here. Let's start this thing. Let's restart this whole thing again. I'm going to blow your mind. Start with just that. And if you have to go back to the website like I do in my own lessons like I did today, do it. Take a, you know, take a little, you know, a little, uh, what's a good word? Review, yeah. I was thinking more figuratively, but yeah, take a little review. Take a little walk back into the lessons, you know what I mean? And uh, you'll be glad you did. And then go back to Romans 1.17. It'll blow your mind. Okay, I'll shut up. It's, it's, oh, it's awesome. This is when God is so awesome. Anyways, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.